0: The following resource is presented by the Counseling and Conference Services of IOM America. Welcome to A Counselor's Point of View. Hi, my name is Steve Finney and I will be your host. We want to welcome our online listeners this morning. We are in our mini-series underneath our series. Our regular series that we are doing is Identity Matters. But we are kind of hung up for a little while onto the, the uh, fruit of the spirit in the social area of life. And that's where we're covering our mini-series on spiritual gifts. So today we're going to be talking about uh, two particular spiritual gifts. But before we do that, let's kind of define a little bit more of where we're going. God does not activate a gift or gifts without placing the life of Christ within the born-again believer. Once that happens, he shouts out a calling within the indwelt Christian so that the believer will not use the gifting on himself or herself, which is self-abasement. Remember the illustration of the brand-new car that we gave earlier? Not only do you need this occupational gift, not only do you need this vehicle in which the manifestations of the Spirit need to get manifested, but the car's got to go somewhere. You don't just sit there and let it idle. Brand new car, top of the line vehicle, your favorite vehicle and the the you're sitting in it you're ready to go the engine's running and you don't go anywhere now to you and i logically humanly speaking that's ridiculous there should be an urge within that that person to go take a ride to go somewhere to kind of put the person behind the wheel with the wheel itself with the vehicle and really try this thing out so i have no idea how many indwelt christians there are in the world that are going nowhere with the spiritual gifts i do know that the majority i've surveyed over the years have no clue what their spiritual gift is they can't even rattle off the eight occupational gifts The eight vehicles, the eight different models of cars, they can't even rattle them off. They have no clue what they are. They guess here and there. I hear things from the ministry of music to the ministry of deliverance to things that are not even in the Bible. Then the manifestation gifts, all the ways that the Holy Spirit manifests inside the vehicle, um... People can guess at those a little bit more because they've heard of speaking in tongues, they've heard of miracles, they've heard, you know, of some of these miraculous gifts. Now, what you need to ask yourself is, am I moving somewhere with my occupational gifting that houses the manifestation gifts? So this is critical before we we continue to move on. God shouts out, once you're in this, this vehicle, the motor is running. And God shouts out, let's go to Hutch. Let's go to Wichita. Let's go to wherever. Because God is not interested in just making you feel good. He's not interested in just making sure you understand things. He wants to go somewhere. He wants to use your spiritual gift and go somewhere. So we need to talk about specifically what is it that he wants to accomplish. Now, I want to show you the Greek in regard to the very first gift we're going to talk about today. And that is a ship which is really the best way to pronounce it. It's a post. But it's apostleship. An apostle. How many apostles were there after Jesus died? They're 11 at first until they got their 12th. But I thought they were called the disciples. Why did Christ call them Apostles. What's that? Not necessarily. you got to remember the Greek dictionary didn't even arrive until 1,300 years after the Greek language was established. They didn't have these kinds of dictionaries where leaders could go dig them up and find out original. The Hebrews did, but the Greeks did not. It was just a language you stumbled upon or you grew up with and whatever. You knew meanings like we did of English. Can you understand English without having an English dictionary? Exactly. When did we get our English dictionary? Yeah, Daniel Webster. Okay, so that is that is an important thing to remember here. The, they didn't have these definitions. An apostle in Jesus' day was a guard post. These were posts put into the ground. And upon that post, there was going to be a fence line built. For God only knows how far. And then another post will be put in place. And then a fence line will be built. And then another post. Guard post. And then so forth and so on. He is literally building the confinement of the body of Christ through apostles. They're entrepreneurs. They're they're guard posts. They're beyond your average fence post. These guys are a very special breed. Now. The dictionary finally came up with this definition is a is a delegate, specifically an ambassador of the gospel. An ambassador, of course, means representative. If you're an ambassador of America, you're a representative of America. If you're an ambassador of the gospel, you're a representative of the gospel. A commissioner. Com- commissioner... Uh, even in the Latin, is someone who promotes community. Commune. A commissioner, initially, of a community would be like a mayor. Commissioner of Christ, a post, with miraculous powers. Here's one of the critical things we're going to learn today. Is if someone claims the gift of apostleship but does not perform miraculous miracles, you need to hold them at arm's length. An apostle is the one that is used in the body of Christ to show the the manifestation of miracles. There's a reason for that, and we'll talk about that in a few minutes. So an apostle, a messenger, he that is sent by a father. So when you have Paul, He refers to Timothy as what? His father. In fact, he said this, For truly you are. He's speaking to Timothy. He's writing a letter to him. He's in prison. He's writing his his son a letter. And he says, Truly you are a true spiritual son. Now see what, what was going to happen. It wasn't just Paul was... Laying hands on Timothy to kindle afresh the gift of God that was in him. He wasn't just, you know, growing Timothy up to be a quality spiritual guy. He was going to give something to Timothy. Does anyone remember what that is? Very, 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 very significant. This is Apostle Paul. This is the post. The guard post called Paul. Peter was a guard post, one of the originals, of course, of the Jews. Paul was a guard post of the Gentiles. So a corral is about to be built for the Gentiles. Peter was a a post... To build a corral for the Jews, the converted Jews, the Messianic Jews. See what's happening here? The two primary lineages are going to be united under one body. So we need two posts. Apostle Peter for the Jews, Apostle Paul for the Gentiles. You sit in this room because you come from the Gentiles. Paul is your father. Paul sent out Timothy and gave him all seven churches. You understand that? Those seven churches weren't for Jews. The Jewish thing is going to happen out of Israel. That is still in progression right now. The Gentile thing happened through Europe. Japheth's descendants, not Shem's descendants, Shem's descendants were for Israel. Japheth is Europe. Ham is Africa. Babylonia, Egypt, and Africa developed. Japheth was the European bloodline. We are from Japheth. So there had to be a corral built for the converts to be put into for the descendants of Japheth. And the same thing for the Jews. Here would be the unyielding apostle. Let's just say that Timothy responded to his spiritual father and said, read my lips. Not going to do it. He's just not going to take on this responsibility. Timothy, think it through guys. Timothy having the entire Development, church development of all of the Gentiles put on his shoulder, and I mean shoulder, left shoulder, is a huge responsibility. Peter himself didn't even get it. Peter thought Paul was trying to take over his ministry. Paul had to be the one to explain, for you are the post for the Jews, I am the post the Gentiles Peter finally got that and as we know Peter and Paul reconciled before they both died but that's what was going on early on in this whole thing so here would be a, a rebellious apostle a delegate of the self life specifically an ambassador of self love gospel is the self love gospel popular today Absolutely, that is at the base of the emergent church. And that is, don't mind the details of what disqualifies you, just do what you believe qualifies you as a minister of the gospel. Did you catch that? If you move forward without the Father representing you, In the gospel, like Paul is to Timothy, and Timothy just decided to move into a land that he wanted to move into, we have some serious problems developing because it is of a self-love gospel, which that term is used in the word, a self-love gospel that is not honored. Now we have a real critical uh, position in regard to the apostleship, we have to look at very carefully. Officially, Commissioner of a Christ, one who shows no miraculous powers, he that is not sent by a Father. That's a rebellious apostle. There's just a few of them in the world today. The other gift we're going to talk about is Mary's gift of administration. Of a household or estate, this is the Greek. Specifically, a religious economy of Jesus' economy. We're used to hearing as money, right? Economy is not. It is a stewardship of of what is given to us by a head of a home. So, ladies are oftentimes automatically given the gifts of administration because. They're to admin the details of the head of the house. See how it works? So as is head of the church, he picks out certain body members to be administrating his details. His economy. Not his money. That's just one of them. But his economy. It's whatever is in his kingdom. This dispensation, we're going to talk about a little bit later because that's the age we're living in right now. And it's going to be brought to a close very, very soon. But what we, these people, are given to stewardship is critical. They think it's money. It is not. To carry out the details of the leader. Now, if the enemy wanted to get at this person... Here's how he's going to do it. A non-yielding administrator is one who is not of a specific household or estate. Specifically supports religious groups that do not promote the true gospel. The economy of Jesus. Still believing in a dispensation and stewardship, but carries out the details of the church without supervision of the presbytery or leadership. Do you realize this? Let's just, take, let's just take money, for example, that is given. Can you imagine if you lined up every true indwelt believer in the entire world and you took all of their giving, all of their giving and it was managed by the presbytery on how it was going to advance the gospel? Do you realize what would happen? I know of one ministry that has $10 billion just in their savings account. You add up all of the resources available to the body of Christ. And you ran it through the presbytery. Let's just say the original apostles. These guys sitting around, you know, breaking bread together. Can you imagine what the church would be able to accomplish? That's exactly how they did it. That is exactly what the disciples, the apostles did in the early church. Those guys decided everything. And today, they would call that a cult of Christianity. Power-hungry Christians. We could have our own banking system. We could have our own uh, stock market, even though that's gambling. We... We could have an entire economy system on our own. We are so rich. Christians are rich financially. I've crunched a bunch of numbers lately just what I got from the government. We are rich. And the government wants to tax the church Because we're so incredibly rich. Now, can you imagine the Christians getting together and saying, you know, I want my money managed by the church. Let's get the gospel out there as far and fast as we possibly can. Well, it's never going to happen. It's just not, because that's the very first failure of the banking system for the Christian church was who? When, when did we first see the failure? Judas. He was the money changer. He was the banker for the, for the, the first apostle team. Jesus himself is one of them. And as they would get money, they'd pass the money over to Judas. Did Jesus know that Judas was going to sell them out with the money that's being given to them to advance the gospel? Of course he did. Even in the very original structure of the Presbytery, there was a Judas that was spending money he shouldn't have been spending and giving away money shouldn't be given away and selling off his leader to get more money. But the point is this still doesn't change the reality of how we're supposed to function. Well. Jesus still continued to set the system up of apostleship in spite of Judas, who literally sold Jesus out. Two, put him on that hill that day. This film that we watched earlier today is nothing compared to what he went through. All because one guy sold him out like a piece of trash. The song of like a rose trampled upon doesn't even come close to how Judas treated his leader. Able to kiss him on one cheek (coughs) and slide a knife into his back at the same time. So let's take a look at the details of apostleship. Definition. This person carries a special ability to recruit people, start projects, and then asserts this leadership necessary to train and equip leaders to take over the project. This person is used by God to start churches, ministries that edify the church body. Purpose. Apostles normally have a blend of the gifts of leadership and apostleship. Look at the 12 apostles, the 12 church starters. They have a unique place in church history, without a a doubt. In fact, they will have a special place in the New Jerusalem. And if you remember correctly, according to... Revelation 21.14, they have a doorway into the New Jerusalem. So there are 12 gates to get in. And each of these gates have a name at the top of the door that says Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, etc., etc. They are given a very, very special position because... They were the corner posts, the guard posts that all of other, all these other posts are going to be attached to, to build the structure that contains the work and manifestations of the Holy Spirit. Many assigned to this job throughout the generations, according to one that's supposed to be an R. One Corinthians fifteen five and seven. Most missionaries have this gift. We cannot have the organized, structured church without apostles. Apostles lay and pour the foundation of the local church, and without this foundation, we would not be meeting to discuss this topic today. Any questions about this page? So was I when I was saying it. (laughs) He's a full fence post. Yeah. Your dad was probably a major guard post where he was at. Where he was at, yeah. But I was thinking under these apostleships. Right. Yep. And in turn, watching him then send out other fence posts and planting churches. Right. So the Apostle knows that he is a guard post and he knows he needs to get a guard post at that end. He needs to get a guard post over in that corner. He needs to get another guard post over in that corner. So he's got to find three primary leaders. Then all of these, these fence posts are going to be teachers, prophets, you know, etc., etc. Then the bob wire that's going to be laid in around. It's going to, literally going to be the gospel of Jesus Christ. I don't know of a apostle that did not describe the gospel as painful. It's not pleasant. There's nothing self-love about it. It hates itself in respects of self-love. He who hates his life will gain it. He who loves his life will lose it. That's what the gospel is supposed to do. Characteristics Some possible apostles, other than the first 12, could include, uh, how do you pronounce his name? Matthias? Is that how he's pronounced? Paul, Barnabas. Many of these apostles are still posts that's coming off of the primary corner post. Every post is very significant, needs to be secured properly. Or it will bend and fluctuate and the enemy can come in and devour the flock. Many times the pastor of the church is given this gift for obvious reasons. And here's the unique thing about spiritual gifting. Sometimes you will find spiritual gifts, occupational gifts, given to leadership of a local church for a very short term amount of time. But his primary gift may be, like in my case prophecy, dust on the feet. So they can be released to go be the prophet. That is the desire I have, is to raise up here so I can go take some journeys to do the prophet thing. But see, a prophet's not wanted in his hometown. Is this true or false? Who said that? Jesus said that. It's a warning, a warning that is given because they're not even supposed to stay in their hometown. Jesus wasn't supposed to stay in Nazareth. He was to hit 40 cities, remember? And then after the cross, how many of those towns did he visit in 40 days? All 40. Just to say, here I am, take a look. All you doubters. Check it out every single town he preached. in That's a prophet. Jesus functioned as a prophet fulfilling the old prophecies. Although we're going to find that all eight occupational gifts are being shown through Jesus Christ. They are quick to accept others and their gifts. They see the need to use every body member in order to establish the work of the kingdom of God here on earth because it literally is a representation of what is already built in heaven. So, these corner posts and whatever, it's not that someday God is going to get out his engraver and he's going to engrave John's name on a doorpost. It is there already and it was before John was born. Do you understand that? God doesn't wait for things to happen and then put it into his timeline. It is before the foundation of the world. There's scripture that even says you were chosen before the foundation of the world. Try to figure that one out. And we think we have choices? We were chosen. As he said, for it was not we who chose, but he who chose. This is critical. These guys understood this in the first generation. Summary. Apostles transplant the Christian faith to new areas and cultures. They simply get things started. They are pioneers of the church laying the roadwork for preachers and teachers to go into the world and make disciples. They paved the way for the body of Christ to function in their original design. Liabilities number one. Apostles can uh, can flesh. Apostles can yes. Apostles can be fleshy like all other workers in the kingdom of God. The apostle can be carried away by their position, desiring others to look upon them in a special way because of their special revelations. In other words, they have the tendency to boast to be caught up in the prestige of the job and enjoy the personal politics a little too much. Been there, done that. Number two, since followers make the mistake of looking at the apostle instead of at Christ as the foundation of the church, they have a fleshly tendency to enjoy the attention of being the man with the plan. Three, Overall, the apostle has the same abilities of the leader, that of using the flock for their own goals, tasks, and personal gain. Places of service could be church planting, cell churches or small groups, program promotions, educational training, elder deaconship, community leadership, civic placement, and political activism. Their reputation means more to them than their own family. Don't ever forget that. You can see it with Paul, you can see it with Timothy, you can see it with apostles all the way down through the generations. It is a huge struggle for the apostles. Their role in the community is more important than their families. Administrator, here's our definition. The administrator has a special ability to organize and manage what the apostle laid out as the foundation for the local church or ministry. Take the word in the Latin, organize, what do you have? Organ. How important is it within our bodies for each of the organs to function in congruency or in partnership with the other organs? What's that? It's vital. It's vital. Why they call them vital organs? Yeah. So what happens if one of our organs stops working? Let's just say the heart. Every organ says, gotcha, I'll obey, let's die together. Okay. Let's say the uh, kidneys quit. What do they say when the kidneys quit? Okay, time to go. Time to go. Check out. If one of the vital organs quits, the other organs say, "Let's go." Those other organs can be as healthy as as they can be, and they'll say instantly, "Let's go." Here's another miraculous thing that happens in the human body is the organs will deny themselves white cells in order to get as many white cells over to the suffering organ in order to bring healing to it. That's amazing. The body automatically sacrifices in order to take care of that one suffering organ. And many times the person comes out of heart failure, kidney failure, etc., because of what's happening. The body is organized because of these organs. They're all in their right place. And if one gets moved around or whatever, the administrator gets a little panicky because the administrator knows they all need to work together. So what would be one of the greatest liabilities of an administrator? Control freak. Purpose. The administrator understands ministry's immediate and long-term goals and how to execute the plans needed to keep the goal on target. They have this unbelievable ability to see that little red dot in the target no matter how far it's out there. And they, they, it's nothing for them to focus in on that red target. And then what they've got to do is think about, okay, how am I going to get this guy here trained to use this arrow, use this bow, and to be skilled enough to hit that red dot? Thus, administrators are often given the gift of teaching. Because teaching is just another word for training. Training was more of a later word that was used to describe a train on a track, going somewhere. But early on, it was teachings. During these days, these early days of Jesus, they were They were instructions laid out on how to hit that red dot. Characteristic. The description of the gift is found in 1 Corinthians 12.28. Romans 12.8 clearly communicates the difference between the gift of administration and the gift of leadership. Many Christians confuse the two. They are very different in function and outcome. In fact, what you're going to find in the world today is that many times the world will hire an administrator thinking they just hired a leader. And when they put them in leadership, they become control freaks and people don't want to work for them. That is what we're talking about here. It is a common mistake that is made by the world in the church or outside the church, and that is these administrators are good leaders. They are not. They do not know how to lead people. They simply know how to train them to be leaders. See the difference? And the best way to find this is to see if they're pleasant to work for. If they're not pleasant to work for, they're not leaders. A natural-born leader is someone who people enjoy working for. The Greek word for administration is the word hel- "helmsman. Of course, helmsman, uh, at least for me. It certainly brings uh, visual pictures. Some guy standing by that great big wheel on the boat, and you know, he's at the helm. He's guiding the ship. He is not the captain. Or she is not the captain. Helmsman is the person in charge of getting the ship to its destination, organizing the details that are all to be given to the captain. Then the captain can give the orders necessary to get the ship from point A to point B. The Helmsman sees the details that the captain and the crew members do not see. They are quick to see all the angels the angles. Supposed to be in, in each decision to be made. Sometimes they might see the angels. The helmsman is expected by the captain and crew members to make sure that they are fed the right details throughout the journey. Now you got this guy up in the, uh, the uh, what they call that thing they set in the cat, crow's nest. You got a guy up there, and you got a guy clear out at the point of the ship, and he's just kind of looking out over the ship, and you got them placed all over the all over the ship, basically, and they're feeding information to who the captain, the helmsman, because the helmsman's at the is at the wheel. He's going to bark out orders of stuff he needs to get done to make sure that ship gets turned in the direction that the full crew is giving input for him to turn the wheel. That's what we're talking about here. The administrator is not the captain. The administrator now takes all the data that is given and turns around, grabs a crewman who's been in training for helmsman, so take take the helm, I'll be right back. Goes back, knocks on the captain's door, and says, here's what we got coming over the next hour. We see an island coming up, at so many points to the, you know, whatever. Feeds the information. Captain goes, huh, let's stop there. Let's find out what that island's about. Done. Goes back out to the helm, and the helmsman in training moves off to the side, and he starts ordering the crew member to make the adjustments, because it's not just the wheel that turns the ship to where it needs to go. There's a crew underneath. There's a crew up above. Everyone needs to be a part of that move. Just simple 2 degree move. That's it. Takes the whole team. These guys are good at that. And gals, God appears to give the gift of administration to apostles, pastors, ministry leaders when they are left to start the ministry alone. Ideally pastors, apostles, leaders, prophets have an administrator in order to stay organized and focused. In smaller ministries, a secretary may assume the position because he or she is, has this gift. Larger ministries actually hire a full or part-time administrator pastor. Now these people see details like ways that really we can't even describe. Here's their liabilities. The administrator is known for being moody. Moody. Critical, competitive, negative, and worrisome. What's that? Yeah, that's what I meant. <laughs> Maybe they can be competitive, but competitive. So, seriously, moody, critical. Why would an administrator, someone who's so put together, be moody? What's that? When expectations aren't met. Expectations aren't met. Because when everything falls apart, they don't look at the leader, they look at you. Okay, now taking that, who does that make... Lo- do, you, do you hear a little personal revelation coming up on there? So what, why would the administrator be so moody or crabby or critical or judgmental, whatever, about someone... Who is supposed to be feeding them the proper details, and they're not. Well, you said the administrator can see the target, and if the administrator sees the target and other things, you give them the way of the target. That's frustrating. It certainly is. Well, you realize that you're not following the right leader. Who's it going to make look bad? The leader. The captain. You see, that person's got to go to the captain and answer to the captain and why things just are a mess on the ship. Captain doesn't want to hear about these details. Captain wants to sit back in his cabin and you know, kind of sketch out a plan of where we're going and what he's going to do with all of his treasures he's going to find on that island. So he can take it back to the king and make the king richer. Every position has its benefits and its liabilities. The administrator first suffers with their own failure, their fear of failing themselves. Secondly, they're afraid of taking that failure before the captain and say, I failed you. That is huge to them. So when the captain looks at them and says, I hired you for this job. How could could you fail this? This is what you're good at. Oh, well, the crew which you gave me are worthless. They just can't do it. They won't do their assignments. They won't do what I told them to They won't. You think the captain's going to go, well, I'm going to go shoot them all because they hurt you. He's going to shoot you because you're blaming downline. That captain is going to want that administrator to stand there after he's done lecturing him about their failures because he's making that captain look like a failure because he's got to go before the king. And that administrator is going to take all of that and say this. You're right. I need to find the solution and sir, I'm going to go find the solution. Leaves that captain pulls the crew together and says we have a problem but see the crew trusts in the administrator the helmsman because they know that the helmsman wasn't going to rat them out so that administrator looks like they're functioning in leadership doesn't it they're not They're carrying out the orders of the leader through putting the organs in their proper place, training them, making sure they're back on target and getting to that island. That's how it works. These people are key people. The person turning the wheel is a key person. So liabilities continue here. Inconsiderate. Inconsiderateness. Okay, that'll work. And then uh, inactivity, anger, disloyalty, lack of volunteers, laziness. Uh, Administrators are in the need of being encouraged to be assertive, bold, enthusiastic, and expressive. They often need encouragement to delegate the responsibilities. And if you keep the picture, of a ship in mind, there is no other way that they'd be able to do it. They can't run up to the crow's nest and then out to the front of the ship and then off to the side and get the little gauge out, start seeing exactly where the sun is. They can't do that. They have to rely upon a team to get things done. Administrators have the tendency to be perfectionist. Administrator knows 1% off by the time they think that they're going to get to the island they're not going to get there. And they know it. So they become obsessed about all the details, become control freaks with all the crew members because their reputation's on the line with the captain. The captain's reputation's on the line with the king. That's what's going on. Perfectionist. it's one of the 13 names of Satan. Why would that be? Why? Why is Satan called a perfectionist? A perfectionist is one who takes ownership of the perfection of their leader. It's wrong. Belongs to their leader. So Satan was taking the perfection of God and trying to take ownership of it and God's saying it's not going to happen on my shift. And since God's shift never ends, he had to be booted out. Planked. Walk to the edge of the plank, jump off. You survive. You're you're on your own. Perfectionist is a common consequence of the liabilities. In the in regard to putting all the liabilities together in one statement, one word, it would be perfectionist. They take on jobs they they could not be delegating but don't because no one can do it like they can do it, so therefore they wait, they wait, they procrastinate because they know no one can do it the way they want it done, so they have to do it themselves, so therefore they become administrators of procrastination. They tend to be judgmental with folks who don't remember, refuse to, or uh, do what they have been assigned to do, and the administrator is quick to discontinue relationship with people who consistently drop the ball when asked to serve in a given area. They tend to have strong relationships with people who are faithful, loyal, diligent at completing tasks assigned to them. Finally, the administrator has the vulnerability to put tasks before relationships. This is why they have a tendency to be performance-oriented. This is why the administrator needs constant encouragement to maintain and build quality relationships. They literally develop a sense of life completely focuses around this time clock inside their minds. If you want to know why Satan doesn't get this timeline of the end times... I mean seriously, he we we look in experience as if he is does not get it. It's because he doesn't. He perfectionists are so caught up in their own little clock in their mind, nothing else in the world matters to them. And they appear to be detached from the reality of the typical timeline of life. That's Satan. He doesn't get the end times timeline clock. I want you to do your own survey. Most administrators who have this gift of administration are in bondage to fear of the end times details. They obsess over them. They become control freaks with them. Because they can't explain it. It doesn't make sense to their clock. So they become fearful. Well, when you look into an administrator's life, you can open up their closets and actually see everything in order. You can open up their drawers and you can actually see what's in order. You can actually you know, open up under their sink and typically you will see things in order. So if it's true that a perfectionist has things out of order to prove to themselves they are not perfectionist, where would you find their disorder? In relationships. They're judgmental. Remember one of the liabilities being they just slice off the relationship and act as if it doesn't, you know, whatever. Whatever. That's where you're going to find the mess. Since they put tasks before a relationship, it will be the relationships that suffer. They'll they'll be out of order. It'll be with their kids. It'll be with their wife. It'll be with their husband. That's where the disorder and chaos will be. Not in their closets. Because administrators are organ people. You see? External. They don't know what to do with the internal turmoil. And lock up. So here's our identity statement for today Jesus Christ is the great and perfect apostle and administrator. Those who attempt to function in these gifts without yielding to the indwelling life of Christ and the leadership of the church are quick to establish. An emergent, self-righteous ministry that promotes self-abasement. And that is self-life coming out of the basement.